Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. So we're going to, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. How many of you have been with us the last, like, two weeks? Some of you have been with us, all right, last two weeks. So we've been talking about ministry to the Lord, okay? We're going to stay on this because this is so central to us as a body. Uh, a lot of times when we talk about ministry, I'm just going to move this back. We, uh, we often think about ministry unto man, and we love ministry to man. We love preaching. We love pastoral care. We love building community. We love evangelism. We love missions. We, we love all those things, but that actually all falls under a category of ministry to man. And what you find in the scriptures is that actually there's a ministry that we first give ourselves to before ministry to man. It's, it's what we've been sharing as it's what gives life to every other ministry. It's ministry unto the Lord. And, uh, and so for us, this is like an essential part of who we are, our DNA, our core value. Um, we've now spent two weeks, and I really encourage you, if you missed, to go back. But we're going to, uh, again, we're going to stay on this. But this is, this is so critical to understanding why we do what we do, especially with the house of prayer. Isaiah 56, the Lord said, this is what Jesus quoted in Matthew 21, that his house would be a house of prayer. And it was a place that was opened up for the foreigners to come and minister to him. Everyone, every single person could come and bless the Lord's heart. And, uh, and so we've really set up something in, in light of that. So I, I just trust that this will really help us to grow in unity because I believe God wants every single person. It's something we do in our own time, but God wants every single person in this prayer room like, we're just starting with a baby step, but there is just beautiful things that are happening through that, all right? So if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do in some way, let's, let's open up to 1 Peter. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in uh, chapter 2, but here's, as you're turning there, just, just to give some recap, because I know there's some new faces, and in, even if you were here, it's good to have repetition when we talk about vision. But you, but you say, what is ministry to the Lord? One of the ways I could frame it is to say, well, why did God create me and you? Like, why did God create us? And if you think about it, God is absolutely perfect, right? He, he lacks nothing. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. Uh, God is, he's Yahweh. I am who I am. He's self-sufficient. He's the beginning and the end, right? So everything about God is perfection, which means when God created us, it was, we were not created out of necessity. We were created out of desire, Okay, God actually doesn't need anything in that sense. So when we talk about ministry to the Lord, because when we minister to man, we're meeting a need. So when we talk about ministry to the Lord, you say, what does that mean? We're meeting a need, but not in the sense of how we meet a, a need of a man. What it means is we're meeting a desire. God created us out of love, and therefore God has a desire in his heart that we to respond and love him. First commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Right? And what can happen is, is that we can do a lot of things in the name of loving God. And, I, and listen, God does receive that as, as love. And we, we look after the poor, when we preach, when we, all those things, God receives that unto himself. But there is something very unique that is listed in the scripture where it's not about benefiting man. It's about us drawing near to God and actually beginning to tell him that we love him. Through thanksgiving, praise, intercession, it's actually us functioning as new covenant priests. And what you look is, is that priests were called to draw near to God, and they were called to minister to God. And in the new covenant, we don't offer up animal sacrifices, we don't offer up, uh, we don't burn incense, but the Bible says we actually offer up spiritual sacrifices, which is worship, prayer. And so next week, we're really going to unpack this, but we're going to see how when we draw near to God, and we begin to worship him like we just did, like we say, God, I thank you that you give me many things, but I'm here to first bless you. It's so unbelievable. I would never believe it if it wasn't in the scriptures that me and you, our little old lives, have the capacity to move the heart of God. Yeah. Like when you come in and you start thanking him, especially in the valley, you start off from thanksgiving, God says, you don't know what that does to my heart. Right. Using that, that, that language, when we start praising him, because praising, we start getting locked into who he is, and we're saying you're holy and you're this, God says, that provokes me, that stirs me. And, uh, and again, so next week, so important, we're going to really practically uh, unpack that. Uh, Thanksgiving, praise, intercession we're going to get into, and we're really going to grow as a community as how we come before the presence of God and minister to him. And what we'll find is that it starts there, but it does not stop there. All of a sudden, we start getting changed in the process, and then cities get changed by the power of worship and intercession as well. All right? 
Um, so for the last few weeks, one of the main things we've been highlighting is that ministry to the Lord, it is our first calling. It is our highest calling, okay? We shared that last week, Ezekiel 44. It's our greatest privilege. God actually himself says this. Before ministering to man, ministry to him is the greatest privilege that we have. What we're going to look at today is that not only is it our highest calling, but ministry to the Lord as priest is actually our eternal calling, our eternal occupation. Everyone in this room was created to minister to God, to abide in the Lord, to behold the Lord, to draw near to God. Every single person in this room was created to walk with God in the cool of the day like Adam did. Life will never make sense until we find that connection. And I, I, I want to be so clear because I think one of the stumbling blocks can be, well, you know, that's not for me. It's not my thing. Most people, most Christians are called to the marketplace or called to their homes. Meaning not many are called to vocational ministry like this. Everyone's called to ministry. It's just that it's in their careers or they take care of their homes and their children. And that's actually their ministry. But every single person was called to minister to the Lord. Every single person, as we'll see in the new covenant, is a priest before God. So this is for the pastors and the prophets. But this is for the carpenters. This is for the doctors. This is for the stay-at-home parents. God has rent the veil so that every single person can come in and have access to him. So what we're doing in that prayer room is we're stepping into what Jesus died for, what he paid for. So that's number one is that everyone, this is, this is for every single person. But number two, and this was really on my heart, is that when we look at this ministry of the Lord as our, as our eternal calling, we'll see it from Genesis into Revelation. That's really where I really want to get. Revelation 21 Blows, blows my mind when we see how the church ends, what we're actually doing. We're actually functioning as priests, ministering before God. That's how it all ends. And the more that we get locked into our eternal calling, the reason why that's so important is because one of the greatest threats to our lives is to prioritize temporary assignments over our eternal occupation. Now, look, I want to be clear. Like, temporary assignments are important. We all have assignments from God. But what can happen is we can become so fixated with these temporary assignments that although they're noble and important, they were never meant to dominate our lives. So listen, I'm a, I've been called a pastor, but that's actually a temporary assignment. There's going to come a day where pastoring will end when I'm with God forever. But what I will do is I will abide and behold and walk with him. I will minister to his heart. And I believe this is so critical that the church is called to begin to start to tap into what we're going to do forever. Like, we were created to see his glory. We were created to commune with God. We were created to be transformed in his image. So we're faithful to our temporary assignments, but not at the expense of missing what it's all going to lead unto. That's what we want to do. We want to start building a place and start building a church that's in alignment with where it's all going to end to give people a preview of the glory that is coming. Are you with me? So if you're a stay-at-home mom, whatever you are, we're faithful, we do that thing with excellence, but this is actually our eternal calling is to minister to God as a priest. And so we do not put temporary assignment and neglect the ultimate thing, right? John Piper, I love John Piper, said it best. He said, worship is the mission of the church. And he said, missions only exist where worship does not exist. Missions only exist where worship does not exist. In other words, you know why we have to go evangelize? Because not everyone's worshiping God. <laughs> but do you know at one point missions will come to an end? But you know what will, will remain forever? Worship. <laughs> it's all about worship. It's all about ministry. It's all about God bringing us back to the garden to be able to abide and love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When God delivered the Israelites, he told Moses, go before Pharaoh and tell him, let my son go so that he may worship me. His whole point of deliverance was that we could worship him. Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 14 says that the Holy Spirit, you know the Holy Spirit, it says that God puts in you when you get born again is a down payment. It's a down payment guaranteeing what is to come. So the Holy Spirit, not only is there so much happening right now, but the Holy Spirit is actually continually bearing witness and testifying to our lives that this is just the beginning. This is just a foretaste. He's actually keeps saying there's something greater coming. This is the role of the church. As a church, we are actually meant to be a preview and foretaste declaring to the world there's something greater coming. 
Like we're starting now and learning as priests to draw near to God and walk with him and bless him and worship him and carry his burdens and intercede and bring that back into the earth. And God says, eventually you're going to see the fullness of what you're tapping into now. We want to give people a preview of what it is that's coming. We are meant to be a prophetic people, which means our lives should always be declaring more about what's coming than what currently is. So even when there's, seems like there's so much shaking, we as a church are saying, yes, but do you know what's coming? We will be with him forever, priests ministering to him. And God's called us in this community to be, uh, because look, God rests in, on priestly ministries as we see. He did it in Israel. He does it now today. And God created us to be a priestly ministry to give people an experience of the knowledge of God. This is what they were made for. We're meant to actually demonstrate the values of a coming age here and now. So I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. I really want us to grasp this, this eternal calling. But before we get into Revelation, I want to just share, because I know for a lot of people, the idea of being a priest, or just even that word, brings a lot of thoughts to mind, right? And a lot of people don't even see themselves as a priest. Uh, we've been brought up in certain denominations and, and, and you know, just have been around certain circles that, that there's images of a priest. And a lot of times, we have a certain picture of only certain people can be priests. And we respect offices, and I respect denominations and how things are done. But we got to be careful. A lot of times, the Word of God, Mark 7, 13, Jesus said, the Word of God can be nullified by the traditions of man. And a lot of times, we can actually lose the glorious occupation of priesthood because we're aware of traditions of man. And we actually fail to see that this is for everyone. This is for everyone to be a priest before the Lord, okay? So 1 Peter 2, we're going to start here in verse 4. I want to share this for a moment, and then um, I just want you to catch, like, this is what we were made for. This is what we're walking in now, and then we're going to Revelation 21, and that's where we're close. Everyone good? We're going to eat right now, and then we'll eat again right after. <laughs> I'm just thankful. Last time we did this, Rob had the smoker out there, and we were getting wafts of uh, brisket and Let's just say it was an early altar call. We just were led by the Spirit. <laughs> All right. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. This is about us. He says, as you come to him. Who's him? Jesus. This is Peter. He says, as you come to him, a living stone. That's not just a brick. That's a precious stone. So critical for when we go into Revelation. It's a precious stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So Jesus is this precious cornerstone, this living stone, rejected by man, but God, God approved of him. God, God accepted him. And look what he says. As we come to Jesus, so as we learn to continually draw near to Jesus, look what's happening to us. Verse 5 says, you yourselves, this is believers, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So what Peter is saying is that we collectively, a spiritual house, another word for that is temple. We are the temple of God. This is an unbelievable statement. This is put through all, all throughout scripture. Uh, Paul says it in Ephesians 2, 1 Corinthians 3, 9. Paul says that we are God's co-workers, God's field, and God's building. And then he goes on to say in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know that you are the temple where the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells? Now just think about this for a moment. Why this is so significant is because the writers, in particular Peter here, but, the other, but Paul, their understanding of temple, the precedent was the Old Testament. So when they talk about us being a temple, what they have in mind is how things function in the, in the Old Testament. The temple in the Old Testament, yes, there was instruction. Yes, there was communal activities. But you know what the temple was? <laughs> The glory of God. It was the resting place of God. It was the dwelling place of the Lord. It was the meeting place where God and man would meet, yes, in a restricted way. But the temple of the Lord was where God's, God's glory would dwell. And what Peter's saying, he says, do you know that us collectively as believers are that dwelling, resting meeting place for the glory of God now? Like, we, we say we come into the tent, we're coming into the Lord's house. Okay, yes, but not really. Because if this thing were to be removed and we go somewhere else, we are the temple of God. And Peter's saying is when we come together and we gather, 
He's trying to awaken us and say, do you understand that the same glory, that Shekinah glory in the temple in the Old Testament, he says, it's in your midst because you yourselves make the temple of God now. And then the other thing is that in the Old Testament, wherever there was a temple, there had to be priests. Priests were the primary ones who would oversee the temple, both in very natural ways, but also they were the mediator and they were the one who would be the connecting point. So my question is, if we're the temple of God, where are the priests? Well, Jesus is the great high priest, but look what he says right here. He says, verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Where are the priests? Right here. We are a holy priesthood. Every time we gather, the Lord says, it's, it's like the temple of God is here. Once again, the holy of holies is in our midst. And if our eyes would be opened up to that, God is so ready to encounter man here. And we get to draw near to the Lord and minister to his heart as the priest did in the old covenant. Except it's actually it's so far greater because of Jesus now. Do you, do you know the Bible, uh, God gives many things to the church. Five-fold ministry, right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. God gives many different gifts to the church. But you know what it never says he gives to the church? Priests. Because some are called to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, but everyone is called to be a priest. He does not give those because we are all that. We don't have some priests. We are a royal priesthood. Everyone was made for this. Guys, again, I repeat, no matter what your ministry is, marketplace, home life, you're a priest before God. You're a priest before the Lord. He's made a way for us to draw near. It says again in verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. What's that? Well, one, it's our whole life. But again, this is worship, prayer as priests, as we'll see next week. We don't, we don't offer up animals. We don't offer up incense. Worship, prayer before the Lord, we get to come in. You know, everything about the Old Testament is a type and shadow for the New Testament, Right? I don't know why, and I feel like I may not be alone in this, but when it came to priesthood, I always feel like what we're doing is a type and shadow of what used to be. In other words, us as priests, we're actually just trying to somehow recapture a once glorious thing. Do you know the truth is, is that what the priest did in the Old Testament, they longed for what we could do? We're actually the fulfillment of the priesthood from the Old Testament? They were a type and shadow prophesying to what we would do, which is that God said, through Jesus, I always wanted all people to draw near and be able to worship me and give them my heart, receive my heart, and they would give me their heart. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. Jesus, man, God wants every single person to have access to him through the Son. Every single person. Old Testament, you had to go through the high priest. Jesus is our high priest. That's why we're not, see, you don't need me to go to God anymore. That's why priesthood has changed, but one thing has remained is we all now get to draw near to God and minister to him. That's the part that we get to do. Through Jesus Christ, it's the heart of, of God that he would, he would open a door for every single person to know their creator. Not just from a distance, not in a very churchy, religious way, but I mean know God, to know God. Jesus is so serious about this. At the heart of the gospel is priesthood. At the heart of the gospel is that the door has been opened up for all to draw near. Do you know three out of the four gospels, so everyone except John. John John's a little different, his gospel. He has some different things going on there, but it's a beautiful gospel. But the other, the other ones, the three gospels, you know what happens the moment Jesus dies on the cross? I mean, literally, it says he breathed his last. The very next verse, like in the gospel of Matthew, it actually says at that moment. At the moment he breathes his last, you know what it says? The veil in the temple was torn from the top down. Like at the, the very first thing God wants us to know is that when Jesus died and gave up his breath, the, the very thing that happens is the veil that caused the separation between man and the presence of the Lord has been rent open now. For all to come in. It is so central to the gospel message. Come to Revelation, please. Hold your spot right here. I want to share this right now. I just want you to see how serious Jesus is about this. Revelation 1. 
Real quick, hold that spot and Peter will come right back. Revelation 1. This is a picture of the resurrected Christ. Verse 5. Verse 5. Revelation 1, verse 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Listen, to him who loves us, so Jesus loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So Jesus has freed us from our sins. Just think about that. Jesus, like God came and gave up his life that we would be set free from sin. For what purpose though? Just to bring us out of something? No, to bring us into something. Verse 6, as he sets us free from our sins by his blood, verse 6 says, And he made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Why was the blood of Jesus spilt? So that we could be a kingdom of priests again. Well, you know what that means? A royal priesthood. Yeah. This is what he's always wanted. His blood was spilt so that we could draw near to him. Look at Revelation 5. Revelation 5, I'm going to pick it up in verse 9. This is the throne room. They're seeing the lamb that was slain. That's Jesus. It's all symbolic, but it's Jesus. And they're seeing the one who's worthy to take this scroll, which is really the one who could uh, uh, carry out the Father's plan of redemption. No one was worthy except this lamb. And when all of the angelical creatures and elders see the lamb that was worthy, who was slain to take the scroll, worship explodes in the throne room. And this is what it says in verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, this is about Jesus, and to open its seals, ready? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, the Father, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Why? And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. My goodness. The blood of Jesus was spilt for this purpose that we could be kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, yes? So come back to 1 Peter. It's so central to the gospel message. So 1 Peter says, again, chapter 2, verse 5, that we're offering up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verses 6 through 8, it talks about how Jesus is this, again, this living cornerstone. Many reject, many receive. He becomes a stumbling block. But then I just want you to see verse 9. Peter says it again. He says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim, that you may praise, that you may worship, that you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why have we become a royal priesthood, a holy nation? So that we may proclaim, we may declare, we may return and praise the one who set us free out of darkness, that we may declare the excellencies, the majesty, the brilliancy, the awe and wonder of him who came and rescued us and ransomed us. This is what he paid for. And he says, and when you give that back to me, he says, you're giving me the reward of my suffering and it blesses my heart. It moves my heart when you're that one leper to come back and fall on your face and say, thank you, God. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for delivering me, God. I will never forget. I will give you what you died for, that all people would be joined to you in intimacy. The thing that hits me with this is that this really shares like the heart of priesthood, which is a people who draw near. They can draw near to God. They see God. They behold. They abide. And from that place of seeing, they proclaim to the world. See, our lives testify that this priestly identity is in us. Like, my, my, I was thinking about this. My son, he loves basketball, so we're watching basketball playoffs. And if he goes to bed early or sometimes I fall asleep on him early, you better believe the next day, depending on how the game ends, if there was something spectacular, guess what he's doing? He's proclaiming it to me. Did you see the game? Did you see what happened? Or I'm telling, did you see that last shot? When we go out to eat and eat something that we love, what do we do? We're posting it all over. We're telling our friends, you've got to try this, Right? Because we've, we were made to be fascinated and then proclaimed from that place. That's our priestly. We were made to draw near, see, 
see something beautiful and proclaim it. The issue is, is when we are, are beholding lesser realities and calling people to something lesser than what God has made us for. So the church has now been opened up to come near to God Almighty and to see God. Not with, I mean, sometimes with our natural eyes, we can have visions and those things, but, but the eyes of our heart, Paul says, would be opened up and you know who he is and what he's done. And from that place, we're like, have you seen him? This is who he is. This is what he does. But without it, this is why we need a restoration of priesthood because without that, it's like almost symbolically we stay in the outer courts. We do service in the outer courts. And so what we're calling people to is so much lesser. Like I love community. I love the at the table. That's so important. It's such a biblical thing. But we're calling the people something deeper than just having good friends. As priests, we're saying, God Almighty, have you seen him? And the door's been opened up for you to know him. Listen, this, this desire of God for a priesthood, this goes way back, like all the way back to the beginning. I want to share something in Exodus 19, really quick. Famous last words of a pastor. <laughs> right, Shane? We're going to end it? <laughs> I always say, Shane called me out one time when in the property. He said, you said you are going to end it like three times. <laughs> it's like an hour ago. Um, Exodus 19. Let me turn there myself. I want you to pick up on some of the language we just heard of what Jesus has fulfilled. It's so beautiful. It comes all the way back here. I want you to see that in the heart of God, he's always been desiring this. In fact, this is really important. We haven't even gone back further enough. If, if you actually really want to know God's desire for priests, you'd have to go back to the garden. Everyone with me? I want you to just hear this, and then we'll, we'll see it gets brought up to speed right here. The Garden of Eden, this is beyond our scope to, to, to get every detail, but what's amazing is that the Garden of Eden, a real garden, a real place, but symbolically, it was actually a temple. So what you had is, if you know, in the Old Testament, you had the, the temple was outer courts, then you had the holy place, then you had the holy of holies. Well, the way the Garden of Eden was set up is that you had all of creation, then you had Eden, then you had the Garden of Eden within Eden. It, it was the outer courts, Eden is the holy place. The Garden of Eden is the holy of holies. So many things speak to this. In fact, God walked with Adam in the cool of the day, Genesis 3.8. Well, when God sets up the tabernacle in Leviticus 26.12, he tells Moses, I will be your God and I will walk among you. In the tabernacle, he's talking about, it's garden language. He says the garden has been brought back, the holy of holies. Actually, you want to know what's fascinating is that Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, 6 uh, verse 16 he actually says that we're the temple of God, and then he quotes Leviticus 26, 12. He says, don't you know that God walks among you now? We're the Garden of Eden. <laughs> like, we say these things, and it's like, what did God do? We are the Garden of Eden now. And when you look at how it ends, it's unbelievable what God did in the restoration revelation. But so you've got this picture. Oh, at, here's one of the clearest ways. Adam and Eve, well, specifically Adam was given this command, but it was for both. In Genesis 2.15, God told Adam to, uh, when it came to his responsibility, to work and keep the land. Work and keep. Those two verbs in the Hebrew are only used in the scriptures to speak about the role of the priest in the temple. Only time. Actually, work is often the same word for worship. So the point is that Adam and Eve were created as priests before God in the holy of holies to minister to him in intimacy and then from that place be released to carry his works and the knowledge of who he is and to extend the borders of Eden, right? This is like incredible because this is what God is doing. It's a kingdom of priests, royal priesthood. And so they lose this because of sin in a sense, but God has a plan of restoration. We pick it up right here. Exodus 19. This is where God is restoring what was lost, what we were made for. And he's calling Israel. He just called them out of bondage, out of Egypt, right? Two months after that, and my question is, why did he bring them out of Egypt? I'll pick it up in verse 3, Exodus 19, verse 3. It says, so Moses went up to God, and then it says, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, which Jesus did for us, he says, you shall be, you shall be what? My treasured possession. That's the special possession from 1 Peter 2.9. He says, among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, 
And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. What God is saying is this is restoration language of the garden. He says, I'm going to bring you back to what I made man for, to stand before me as a priest first and then minister to man from that place. This is what Jesus' blood was paid for, to be a kingdom of priests, it says. He re- Jesus brought this back, and so the question is, why does God bring them out of bondage? Again, why would God have the lamb slain in Egypt and have the blood put over the doorpost for the Passover? What was the whole reason? Not just to bring them out of slavery, but to bring them into something. Priesthood back to him. And for the longest time, I've always seen where God, God's desire in the Old Testament was just for the tribe of Levites. Because if you know, there was 12 tribes that made up Israel. The one tribe that could be the priest was the Levites. But you know what this tells us? This tells us that it was always in the heart of God that all of Israel would be priests to him. He was never content with having one tribe. His desire was that all of humanity would be able to do this, and that's what Jesus has done. In fact, when the high priest in the Old Covenant would go before the Lord on the, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest had to put on certain garments. One of the things he put on was a breastplate. And on that breastplate was 12 stones. This is important, too, in a moment. And on each stone was written the name of Israel, uh, the different tribes of Israel. So when the high priest went before God, it was symbolically giving what God wanted, which was for all of Israel to come before him. This has always been in God's heart. And what we're saying now is that Jesus has opened the door for us to do this. The priests of the old covenant were weak to give God what he really wanted. It was all pointing to something. But Jesus is the great high priest and the perfect sacrifice. And so get this. When Jesus dies and the veil's torn, this is fascinating. When Adam and Eve were banished from the Holy of Holies, the garden, right, God put two cherubim there. If you know the story, they could not enter back in. It was actually God's mercy because of his holiness. And so there was two cherubim, these angelical creatures with flaming swords. Man could never enter back in. But when Jesus died, the veil was torn. And and do you know what was stitched on the veil? Two cherubim. Which means when the veil was torn, the, the cherubim were split open, symbolically saying the garden has been opened back up again. The holy of holies has been opened back up again. We can draw near to the Father in that. So, so crazy. All right, so come with me to Revelation 21. I want to finish off here. Revelation 21. You guys with me? So we are created. We are priests, right? So the big picture is we were created in the garden to be priests, to dwell with God in the Holy of Holies. Sin disrupts that, but God in his goodness has redeemed it through Jesus. And now we're beginning to basically give a preview of where it's going. So as everyone in Revelation 21, I want you to see this. There's a lot of text here. I'm not going to read all of it, but Revelation 21, I'm going to start in verse 9. Now, the book of Revelation, um, I'll just say this. I know it it can be scary for some. Um, It's apocalyptic and prophetic, which means it's very symbolic. There's visions. There's a lot going on. And uh, and so I'm not going to be able to cover all of, like, the meat that's here because there's so much. Uh, In fact, here's what I'll say is a lot of times where we we stumble in Revelation is we actually get so lost in all the finer details, we miss the bigger picture. Right, like one of the easiest ways to miss the beauty of something is to get lost in all of the details too much. Right, like if you were to stand at the edge of um, the Grand Canyon, right, if you were to, or Niagara Falls, let's say Niagara Falls, and you're standing before this incredible scene of water gushing down, one of the easiest ways to lose sight of the beauty is to try to start calculating how much water is flowing down at what pace and what speed, right? It, that's something maybe Ray would be able to do pretty easy. <laughs> But, but you, would, you would quickly lose it. There's something to be said of you want to know the finer things, but you also want to step back and catch the beauty of it, right? Just like a rainbow. If you get lost in trying to figure out how all these things work, you just lose us being filled with awe. And I really think a lot of this is to actually move us with awe and wonder over the church. And so here's what's happening. You've got John who has this vision of, the, of, of this city, he says, the new Jerusalem. But what's so fascinating is that you'll see very clearly, and I, I won't go into all the other details that reinforce this, but John actually says, although he sees a city, it's actually a people. 
It's the bride of Christ. It's the church. So what John actually says is every, what happens is every description of this, of this city actually becomes a description of our identity. You with me? So it's very symbolic, but when you see every description of this city, what's actually happening is it's, it's a description of where the church is heading, right? So look at verse 9, 20, uh, Revelation 21, verse 9. Remember what we said. We want to start tapping into our eternal assignment now. We want to be occupied with where it's all going more than anything else and give a vision to our community of where it's going. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So what is this angel showing to John? The wife of the lamb. Who is the lamb? Jesus. Who's the bride? The church. He's actually saying, I'm going to show you the church right now. This is how it all ends, guys. <laughs> and then he says this, and he carried me away in the spirit, verse 10, to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem. So what he's actually seeing is a city, but it's really a people. You, you're with me. It's very symbolic, okay? And he says this. He sees this city that is actually the new Jerusalem's not a place. It's a people. And he says, the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So John has this vision of a people coming down out of heaven unto the earth. Jesus prayed that, that what happens in, in heaven would be done on the earth, the Lord's Prayer, right? Here is the fulfillment of that. Ephesians 1 says, we now know the mystery of God's will, that all things are being reconciled, both in the earth and in heaven, through Jesus Christ. Here it's coming where heaven and earth, which has always been God's desire from the garden, would intersect and priests would be at the center of this intersection. And so here you have heaven coming down. Why is this important? Because if we're going to build a church that wants to see heaven come now on the earth, here is the blueprint of how you start doing that. This is what's going to eventually come, and, and now we have an opportunity to start pressing into that as a people here and now. And so it says, coming down of heaven from God. Look at verse 11. This is about us, guys. <laughs> Having the glory of God. Whew. The glory of God. I thought the glory of God was restricted to the temple and the Holy of Holies. <laughs> That's right. But now we are the temple. The glory of God. Why would we ever prioritize anything else and want to see more of God manifest now? If that's what we were made for, why would we give anyone anything shorter than that? The glory of God. Ready? He's describing these people. It's, it's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So he sees this again. Everyone with me? It's actually people he's describing. And he sees them. He says they're radiant like the most precious rare jewel, like a jasper. Now, this goes to many things, but what hit me is that in Revelation 4, it describes the throne room of God. And do you know what's one of the colors that radiates from the throne room? Jasper. It's actually an attribute. It's symbolic for an attribute, which means that the same attributes that flow from God are now flowing from the church. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 3? He says, now in Christ we can behold the glory of the Lord. And as you behold that glory, you're going to start reflecting more and more of that glory. This is why we prioritize getting people to behold the Lord. Because in the end, our lives will fully reflect God's glory once again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning we were created for that realm. Sin cut us off. Jesus has brought us back. And now we're beginning to participate until one day we will fully be shining the life of God from us. Yes? Come on, this is amazing. We're giving people a preview of what it's going to be. Us beholding him and looking more and more like him. Man. Another side note on this. Listen, I have a tendency. I don't know if others do. It's really easy to want to write off the church. To say they're beyond hope and repair. Do we see what we're reading? The glory of God is going to be upon this radiant bride. God is going to do some things. He's going to redeem Let's be honest, a ragtag group of people, he's going to redeem it to something so brilliant and magnificent. We have hope. We have hope for the church of where it's going. Verse 12. Man, I can't even, I wish I could break open every detail. It says it had a great high wall. What does that mean? Symbolically, in, in these times, walls was the primary way of security in ancient cities. If a wall was crumbled, you had no security. So what this is saying is everything we're talking about, it's eternally secure eternally secure what we're talking about. 
And he says, it had a great high wall. Listen to this. With 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. Just stay with me. I'll explain. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. So it has these 12 gates, and the 12 tribes of Israel are there. And then it says, verse 13, and on the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. So each side has three gates, every direction. And then verse 14 says, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles of the church are, are here. Why? Symbolically, it's saying this is the entirety of God's people. Both old and new covenant are coming together in oneness here. What's so amazing is that Roman cities typically had three gates in one direction. This city has 12 gates, three in every direction. Do you know why? Because people from all over have been welcomed into this place. Jesus said, my blood was poured so that every tribe, every nation, every people would be represented here. That's what we're seeing here. This is, he said, my house will be a house of prayer that foreigners and those far off would come in and minister to me. What John is seeing is people that are coming from every background, every upbringing, every nationality, every ethnicity. They're all here, radiant in glory, glorious. And doing what? Listen, here's where the temple imagery and priesthood gets even stronger. Stay with me. Verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. Symbolically, it means anything that was measured off would be, again, secure and protected. So this is secure and protected. And then he gives these dimensions, which if you start to break them open, in a literal sense, it really, it's a bizarre-looking city. But I want to call you to something deeper of what these numbers mean. Verse 16 is the key. It says, the city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. But ready? Listen to this line. Its length and its width and its height are equal. So he sees this city, again, representing a people, and he says, its length and its height and its width are equal. In other words, what John is saying is, he says, I see a perfect cube. You say, what are you talking about? Oh, this is just too good to be true. There is only one room in all of the scriptures that is described as being a perfect cube. And do you know what it is? The Holy of Holies. 1 Kings 6.20. It was 20 cubits wide, long, and high. If we are the temple of God, which we are, our future experience is the most holy, intimate place of that temple. The Holy of Holies, the eternal Holy of Holies is not just a place, it's a people. We were created to be priests before God. Where it's all going is the most holy, intimate place of that entire temple. Adam dwelt in the Holy of Holies. We are actually becoming God's Holy of Holies. And that's what we're pressing into now in the prayer room, drawing near and ministering to his heart in that place. He goes on to give some more measurements. I'm going to, again, I can't break it all open. Look at verse 19 and 20. You see the priestly language come even forth. So we're this Holy of Holies. Verse 19 says the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first jasper, the second sapphire. He's basically going to go on for the next two verses and list out 12 jewels. 12 jewels. Do you know when you go into the, the high priest, remember I said he went into the, into the Holy of Holies one day of the year? The high priest had to wear garments that had 12 jewels on them. Every jewel that's listed here is what was on the high priest's garment. He's saying these people are the high priest that come into the Holy of Holies now forever. What do we read in 1 Peter 2, 5? It says, we are precious stones being built up. This is the imagery where a temple of God being built up into a holy priesthood for all of eternity with the Lord. And he goes on to verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. I can't even get into all this. Each of the gates made of a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. We'll finish with these last few verses. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Mark, if you want to put something on for me, please. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its light is the Lamb. <laughs> now, does that mean there's going to be literally no sun in the new heaven, new earth? Maybe. But I think we miss something so much deeper which is that it's talking about the glory of God is so bright that it eclipses every natural light. Yeah. 
Do you know that when, when Paul had his conversion, he was riding on a horse in Acts 9, and it says it was noon, noon. He was in Damascus, Syria, the Middle East, noontime. That sun is beating down, and yet Paul says, I saw a great light. With the brightness of the light at the strongest point of the day, Paul said, I saw a light that was even greater. It was Jesus himself. And in the new heaven, new earth, look, we're not just gonna be sitting in a room, we're gonna be together, but we're gonna be walking with God like we did in the cool of the day. And his glory will fill everything. And it says, verse 24, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day. There will, never, there will be no night there. Verse 26, they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. He quotes Isaiah 60, which in Isaiah 60 was wealth. But what is the glory and honor here? In the book of Revelation, every time it says glory and honor, it's always with respects to worship. That's the throne room, all glory and honor. What he's saying is in this place, the nations will come before God and bring worship to him unending. We're partaking in that now, guys. <laughs> yes, our minds come in. We have natural things. It gets distracted. We have life. We have, we have other assignments. I get that. But we must never forsake this glorious eternal occupation. And we must forever give ourselves to this thing to tell the world this is where it's going. And he closes in verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does not or anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those written in the Lamb's book of life. <laughs> How do you know you're in the Lamb's book of life? It's faith in Jesus. It's faith in Jesus. And God wants you a part of this by yielding your life to faith in Jesus. As, as we pray, I just want you to capture this picture that when we gather in that little office morning and night to come before the Lord, I just want you to see that by the Spirit what's happening. We're beholding God. We're entering into the Holy of Holies, if you will. And we're beginning to give a picture to this community. God is looking for resting places. But he needs priests. See, this is why priests have to be restored. God rests where there's this priestly ministry. God's restoring priesthood because the more people come back to drawing near, you're going to see greater resting upon communities. And it's going to open the door for those in this community to see it. Yes? So let's pray together. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, who is like you, Jesus? What can we say, Jesus? You are our high priest. You are the perfect lamb. And you spilt your blood that we could come in. You opened the doors for Garden of Eden to be restored, Lord. Oh, Lord, we don't take that for granted. Lord, we recognize that our hearts come alive when we draw near to you. And I just pray over this body that every single person would give themselves to this one thing. God, we thank you for all the assignments that you've given us. But Holy Spirit, we're asking for a grace to never let those things dominate our lives. To never let that get in the way of where it's all going. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would awaken in every person here that you are inviting them. You are inviting them to draw near. God, I pray that you would take us as a body into something deeper. And the Lord has, all week that God has been speaking deeper, deeper, deeper. I feel the Lord is saying he's jealous for us to go deeper. He wants to give people a picture of where it's going. Lord, we say yes. We say yes. God, I pray you would speak to us. 
Speak in my heart first, Lord. Places where we've just put up the walls, God. We say yes to your call to come deeper, Lord. We say yes to abiding, Lord. We say yes to beholding, Lord. Oh, Lord, may we be a house that you rest in a fullness, God. Lord, your presence spills out from this place into this community, God. Lord, give us wisdom as to how to restructure our lives, that being with you would become number one. Oh, God, may we actually put you to the test and see that when we seek you first and your kingdom, you truly take care of everything else in our lives, God. May we see you are real and you are an actual father and you are good. I just pray, Lord, you've given us authority, so may this be a day that's, that's being declared in this house that there's something new being birthed from this, Lord. Priests arising in this house. Spiritual Levites arising in this house. We call them out in Jesus' name. We call out those, God, who have been on the outside that you've been longing for their hearts to be brought back to you, God. We pray you would saturate, saturate this place with priests. And Lord, when we gather, may we always be awakened to the fact that we are your temple. And your glory is here. And you walk among us even now, Lord. May we not become so preoccupied with temporary things that we would miss you walking in our midst. Give us eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, So we are going to obviously have at the table and eat, but I, I do, I want to call. Do we have a signed prayer team today? Melanie? Yeah, for those who'd like prayer, uh, especially salvation, we really feel a grace. So if you don't know if your name's written in the Lamb Book of Life, it's receiving his perfect work for you, faith in Jesus. And you'll be invited into the most glorious thing, to walk with your creator. Amen? All right, so if anyone would like prayer, you can come up. We'll have a prayer team. If not... You can go outside the, 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 the tent and we're going to have a good feast and hang out and enjoy each other's company, all right? God bless you guys.